Next week, we're going to begin a new series. And uh, we just finished up 2 Timothy. How long did it take us, Craig? Like, what did we do, like six weeks in Timothy? 2 Timothy? Eight months, something like that. Uh, We're going to be moving into a new series. I'm excited because the series is all about you. We're going to be talking about what God thinks about you. I don't know if you know this, but God knows more about you than you know about you. You realize that? And me as well. I'm not excluded from this. God just knows more about us. And so we're going to be looking into the word, primarily the book of Romans. We're not going to go through the entire book of Romans. Uh, That would take us, if 2 Timothy took us eight months, it didn't really take us eight months, did it? Six months. Uh, Romans would probably take the rest of my ministry for us to get through. But that's all right. It's the word of God. But we're going to take uh, we're going to take several weeks and we're going to talk about what God has to say about you. And I, I believe it's going to be one of the most encouraging series for you. And the reason I bumped it off and I didn't push it right into the end of Second Timothy is that I want you to have time. This is a great opportunity to maybe invite your friends or your neighbors to get that person that you've been wanting to invite in church. Bring them in at the beginning of this series. Uh, it'll be a great time to encourage them. And the gospel, as always, will be will be part of that series clearly proclaimed. This week, however, I want to do something special for you. We're going to be in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. That's in your Old Testament if you're having a little trouble. It's about that far in. Can you see that right there? So go past Genesis, Numbers, Exodus, all that. And uh, you're going to go past 1 Samuel, end up in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there's some under the seats there in front of you. Or you could just follow along on the screen. We're going to be talking about David. One of my favorite passages on King David, but it's not a well-known passage. You don't often hear it talked about. You know David for other things. Maybe you have heard stories of David as a boy killing a bear or a lion. Maybe you've heard stories of David becoming the unlikely king. Maybe you remember David's great desire to have the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, back where it should be with the nation of Israel. Maybe you remember the story of him having the Ark of the Covenant moved back. Maybe you remember the great story of David uh, removing his distinguishing kingly garments and dancing wildly before the Ark of the Covenant as it's returning uh, and making sacrifice before the Lord. Maybe you remember that controversial story. Perhaps you remember David, despite his stumblings, as the one scripture calls a man after God's own heart. What a title. What a title David gets. But most likely you've never heard a message on 2 Samuel chapter 7. I've never heard one. Probably because it's a story of humility. Not a story of exaltation. At least not in the way we would, we would imagine. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God essentially tells David no. Has God ever told you no? <laughs> Have you ever asked God for something and He just, he just shuts the door and He says, no, that, that's, not, that's not for you. I know I have. Maybe, if you think about it, most of the time when we ask God for something, it's usually something for us, isn't it? And sometimes He has to say no. Or maybe even it's, it's not something for us. It's something that we're asking on behalf of someone else. And sometimes He says no. But have you ever asked God for something, listen now, for God? Have you ever asked God to do something for him. That's what David has in his heart in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He's going to ask God for something for God, not for him, not for anyone else. His focus is primarily on his king. And God's 
going to say no. But I want you to see what happens here. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Follow along, verse 1. Now it came about when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. Essentially, the author wants us to know that King David is in a is in a place of peace right now. He's brought the Ark of the Covenant back. The presence of God is there. He's danced wildly before the Ark of the Covenant. He's celebrated in humility before God. He's made sacrifice before God. He's removed his his kingly garments and he said, God, you are my God. You are my king, even though I am a king. And God has essentially honored David's heart. So we find by the author's words here that David has been blessed. He's been elevated because of his humility. That's the context of where we are in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David has been humble before God, and God has essentially elevated him. He's given him rest on every side from all of his enemies. And then the king said to Nathan the prophet, Nathan the prophet, you know from the story of David and Bathsheba, is the guy who will confront David. He's a trusted confidant, he's a trusted advisor, a spiritual advisor. David trusts this man. Even when he brings sharp rebuke into his life, David will listen. And so it's no surprise here that David goes to Nathan with what is on his mind and what is on his heart for the Lord. And here's what he says. See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. I just get the idea that David is sitting in his house and the Ark of the Covenant now is is where it needs to be. It's with the nation of Israel. It's in Jerusalem. And that has been accomplished. And he's checked that box off for God's glory. And now he's sitting in his lavish kingdom. And he looks around and and he notices how beautiful, how glorious it is. And something in David stirs once again. For the glory of God. Look what he says to Nathan. I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells within a tent of curtains. The heart of David is always for the glory of God. He gets the ark of the covenant back and he he sits down and looks around and he says, wait, something is still not right. I'm still too high in this picture. The ark of the covenant is back, but it but it should be primary. I'm in this fancy, I'm in this fancy castle and it's, it's surrounded by, by curtains. You get the idea that David just starts to think, what, what can he do? What can he do to elevate his God? Here's what Nathan says. Verse three, go, David, go do all that is on your mind for the Lord is with you. Nathan recognizes something in David right here, and it's the key to the story that David is walking with God and God is with David. Nathan recognizes that the heart of David is the heart of a man after God. And he realizes that what David desires is to elevate his God even higher than himself. And so almost without, without any hesitation, David, uh, Nathan says to David, go do it. Go do it. Why can he say that without hesitation? Because I know the Lord is with you. It's as if he says, I, I, I can see that your heart is for God and I can see that God is blessing your humility. Go do it. Go do it. But something, something happens here. In the same night, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And here's what God said. Go say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? And the inference is, David, you are not. 
You're not the one. For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt. He gets a, gets a history lesson here to pass to David. I don't need a house. I've not dwelt in a house since the day I brought the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Wherever I have gone with the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now this, I believe, is not a rebuke to David. It's just clarity to the heart of God. To match the heart of David. David, you're not, you're not the one. I don't need what you're offering me. Acts 17, there's a good story of Paul going into Athens. And he sees all the gods that, that those who have gathered in Athens are sacrificing to. And he looks around and some are made of stone and some are made of marble and some are made of all different materials. And he sees one and says, dedicated to the God that we don't even know who he is. Just so we have all our bases covered. And Paul essentially looks at these men and women and he says, I'll tell you who God is. He's not a God who dwells in a house made by the hands of men. He dwells in hearts. God's never been one to settle into a building. He's never been a needy God, is the point. He's not like the other little g-gods who need these lavish homes, who need these lavish tabernacles. That's not a need of the God we serve. So what is David going to do with this? He's not asked for something for himself. He's asked for something for God. Now Nathan comes back to him with this message. Verse 8, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts. He comes back to him with this message. David has all this to hear. Essentially, the answer is no. You and I would have probably not heard anything else. But God is going to continue the conversation. After telling him what he's done historically, after telling him that I've not needed this home, he's going to continue on here. Look what he says in verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people. David, when I found you, you were, you were down here. And I elevated you to be here. I've been with you whenever you have gone. And have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, and I'll plant them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you, David, that the Lord will make a house. Check this out. For you. The heart of David was to build a house for God. God says, thanks anyway. That's not a job for you, David. But as if, as if God says to honor the heart of the man, Spurgeon says that God echoes the heart of David in his reply by lavishing back upon David. Look at what God does. He says, David, I, I, I don't need your house. And you're not the one to build it anyway. But here's what I'll do. Being the one that elevated you from a shepherd to a king, I'm going to continue to bless your heart. 
I'm going to continue to bless the man who will be faithful and obedient and humble towards me. Here's what I'm going to do to you, for you. Verse 8, you're going to be a ruler. Verse 9, you're going to get a great name. Verse 10, you're going to have a place for your people. Verse 11, you're going to find rest and I will build a house for you. How about that, David? How about that for an echo of the heart of a king? Verse 12, when your days are complete, even when it's all done, even when your time on earth is done, I still honor you, David, for your heart towards me. Watch this. 12, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant. Even when you fall on your last day, I'll raise up a descendant and I'll continue to bless your seed. I'll raise up a descendant after you, verse 12, who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Who, who is this we're talking about? Solomon. Very good. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish a throne of his kingdom. How long? Forever. Is it based on anything in Solomon's heart? Not yet. It's based on the heart of David. It's based on, based on David's willingness to continue to humble himself. I'll be a father to him and he will be a son to me, David. Even when he commits iniquity, I'll correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the son of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul when I removed him from before you. There'll be no king's X on Solomon. I'll correct him just as a good father would. But I'll abide with him forever and forever. Your house, 16, look at this summary. Imagine now being David. Having been sitting there in his, in his kingdom and being stirred in his heart to do something great for God. For now Nathan to come back and stop him and say, listen, that's not for you. Don't worry. Number one, God doesn't need a house. And number two, he wants to bless you. And he wants to bless your house. 16, your house, your kingdom shall endure before me forever and your throne shall be established forever. Wow. Wow. David thought he was going to bless God and God turned around and blessed David. Nothing of human hands that David could compile to be a blessing. There's a principle here. There's many actually, but there's one I want to focus on. David started in a place of humility and allowed God to elevate him. And when God elevated him, David looked around and said, how can I raise my God even higher? How can I lower myself so God has supremacy? So God in my life, even now as a king, has priority. That's the heart of David. No matter how elevated he is, he's still looking for a way to push his God forward. Now, this isn't, this isn't unique to this story. It fits with the rest of Scripture. The New Testament has something to say about being first, doesn't it? How do you get to be first? Jesus would say, be last. Now, let's be clear. This isn't a mathematical equation that you can put into work, put into practice, and figure out a way to elevate yourself. 
This isn't like Oprah's secret. This isn't, this isn't reading the prayer of Jabez every morning when you wake up and expecting God to bless you just because you read it. This isn't a mathematical equation that we look at and say, how do I get to be elevated? Well, if I do this down here, then God will elevate me. So let me do this. Now, God sees to the heart of a man. God sees to the heart of man. This isn't a mathematical equation. The question for us is, is the desire of your heart to be center stage or is it to push God front and center and fall back behind the curtain? That's the heart of David. The heart of David was never to be a king in the beginning. The heart of David when he got to be king was to, was to put God before him. And God honors that every time. That's the attitude we're looking for. Why 2 Samuel 7 today? Christianity 101. John the Baptist said it probably better than any other place. He must increase and I must, what's the word? Decrease. That's not a ploy to be elevated. That's from the purity of the heart of the man. Based on the faithfulness and the loving kindness of who we serve. We're humbled. We're humbled. Is the desire of your heart to be in front or to be decreased? What is your heart? Does it have God's glory before your own? How do you know if, how do you know if God's glory is before your own, in your own heart? It was interesting to me that in chapter 7 there, verse 3, put that up. Nathan said to David, go and do all that is on your... What does it say? (laughs) Do all that's on your mind. Uh, When I first started preparing for this sermon, I I kept finding myself wishing that he would have said, do all that is on your heart. David's a man after God's own heart. That would have fit better. It would have made better sermon sense. But it occurred to me uh, just this morning that that if we want to know what our heart is, if I, if I want a clue into what your heart is, it very often comes when you share your thoughts. David had on his mind the glory of God because it was an overflow of his heart. Nathan could say to David, do all that is on your mind because it, it had come from what? Walking with God. God is with you, David. God is with you. How, how do you know? How do you know if your life is focused on God as a priority or if you are still the priority? Well, what's on your mind? What's on your mind, sir, ma'am? And not right now because we're sitting in church. That's easy. How about tomorrow when you go to work? What's on your mind? I mean, what do you, what do you think about during the week? Well, let me ask it differently. Do you ever dream big? For your God. Do you ever have these desires building in you for the glory of God? Or are all your thoughts directed towards you, your life, your improvement, your family, your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, your retirement plan? What are, your, what are you thinking, church? If you want to know where your heart is, Run a list of where your mind's been all week. 
God's looking for men and women who, who have big dreams for Him. The response to that, I think, would be from, as Nathan did, and it would be from me, you dream big for God, I'm going to tell you to go for it. I'm going to tell you to go for it. Sometimes we worry if, uh, if it's the right thing or not. Sometimes we worry if what we're doing is the purpose of God for our life. Um, let me tell you, um, we don't get any indication here that David sat down, prayed, contemplated, asked God, what can I do? Now, at first thought, you think, well, that would have probably been a good idea. God would have told him, no, you're not to build this house. But I think there's another way perhaps to look at this. David, and we know from Nathan, was with God, walking with God. God was with him. He was, he was bringing peace to David's kingdom. It was, it was an obvious thing. David's mind was set on his God and his God's glory. I often wonder if there's some things we just don't even have to pray about. If you came to me and you told me, Pastor, I'm thinking about doing this for the glory of God. I don't know that I'm, I'm going to have to tell you to pray about it very long. I want to give, I want to give this part of my life. I want, to, I want to commit this part of my life to God. Pray about it? Yeah, pray about it. But think about this. David, David, out of the overflow of his heart, he's sitting around thinking, what can I do to elevate my God? And he never gets a rebuke here. God says, no, that's not for you. No, thank you. I don't need a house. But God, as a response to the heart and mind of David, does what? He blesses him. He says, you'll not have to worry about your house forever. In fact, the seed that is promised in Genesis 3 will come through your house. Go to Matthew 1 and look at the genealogy. God honors this commitment forever and ever. David is blessed. He never says to David, why didn't you come and ask me first? You never get the idea that David is worried about whether or not this would be okay. David is dreaming big for God. And God says, no, that's not for you. First passage that I ever memorized, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Maybe some of you know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the context that I think we find David in. He's trusting in God with all his heart. Lean not on your own understanding. He's not basing his decisions based on his own, his own thinking of what would be best and wise. He's got God as a priority in his heart. His decisions are not based on him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to go and ask him. That's not the point there. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Have God as a priority in your living it out. Acknowledge Him. Make sure that He is the focus. As you're walking like that, guess what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him in that context, and He will direct your paths. You know what that's a picture of? It's an agricultural picture to the nation of Israel. It's the idea of diverting water to where you want it to go. And so if you've got a stream of water, it's the idea of the farmer taking his heel and out of that stream carving a path for that water to make it to where it needs to go. And so it's the, the picture of God saying here, you trust in me, you lean on me. 
You acknowledge me. You keep me central as your focus in your life. Be thinking about me during the week. And I'll direct your paths. I'll direct your paths. Church, dream big for God. He may say, no, that's not for you. But He'll never, He'll never, ever rebuke you, slight you for wanting to do something for His glory. Isn't that comforting? In fact, by indication of this story, He'll turn right back around and He may say, no, thank you, but He'll bless your heart. As a pastor, there's uh, probably nothing more encouraging as I think about it than uh, to sit down with some of you and hear what you plan to do for the glory of God. We're going to go out and we're going to share the gospel on the street. That's awesome. Go for it. Go for it. Do it. I'm going to start this uh, little backyard Bible club in my neighborhood and I'm going to invite as many kids from the neighborhood as I can and, and, and we're going we're gonna, to um, we're gonna teach them. We're going we're gonna to share the gospel with them. Go for it. Go for it. I found out that um, uh, Pastor, there, there are kids in our community that uh, they're on free lunch all week and then they go home on the weekends and, and they don't have anything. And so here, here's what I think I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start packing backpacks in my basement and we're going to give them to the counselors and let the counselors give them to, to the students when they go home. <laughs> go for it. For the glory of God, dream big. Dream big. Where are your thoughts, sir? Where are your thoughts, ma'am? God is looking for men and women who sit around like David, thinking of how they can elevate their God. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, and I'll be done. For the eyes of the Lord. Think about this now. Just think about this passage, church. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. God is on the search. God is on the lookout. To give strong support to those whose, what's the word? Whose heart is blameless towards him. Let's pray. Father God, we know that you are looking for men and women who have your glory as a priority. And it's a basic principle of our Christianity that we can spend the rest of our lives on ourselves. We can spend our weeks and our days and our years with our own self on our mind. Or we can, like David, sit around thinking of how we can elevate the king. How can we, how can we glorify you, God? How can we bless your name? How can we lift you higher? How can we decrease so that you might increase? How can we step back on the stage so that we can push you forward so that you might be lifted up before all men? My prayer for each in this congregation is that you would plant, you would plant a seed in their heart for your glory, God that their thoughts would be consumed by how they could elevate you. 
by how they can lift you up. By how their life can can bring you glory. It may not be for anyone in this room anything as grand as building you a temple. It might be. It might be just that backpack. It might be that backyard Bible study. It might be visiting that neighbor who's ill. It might be sharing the good news with that young man on the street. It might be modeling the morality of our faith in the workplace. It might be being a man or a woman of integrity. It might be in our last years that we display grace and humility. Father, whatever, uh, whatever it is you have planned for the men and women in this room, would you, give them, would you give them big dreams for your glory? Lord, I trust that if we're heading in the wrong direction, you'll direct our paths. I trust that you'll intervene and say, no, that's not for you, but thank you. As Spurgeon said, you'll echo our hearts with that, with that blessedness that you offered to David. Oh, Lord, would you give us a heart that is after yours? Give us big dreams and give us the humility. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can I read you the next verse? I didn't give you what David's response is. David's response to God's surprising answer. Verse 18. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord. And here's what he said. Who am I, O Lord? Who am I? O God, in what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet, this, this thing I would do for you, it was insignificant. It was unneeded. Verse 20, again, what more can David say to you? David has no words. As God elevates him once again, where does David go? Straight to his knees. Straight to his knees. For you know your servant, O Lord God. For the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. David is once again brought low. Brought low. We're going to sing one last song. Why don't you stand with us? Take a moment to uh, to think on these things before you leave. I've said to you before that there's something about once you get out that door, you've you've made it. You've escaped the conviction of the Lord. Perhaps I'm going to pray that He won't let you sleep all night anyway. I'm going to pray that He continues to to remind you to consider what what's on your what's on your heart, what's on your mind, and I'm going to pray that He that He plants that seed of His glory in each one of us. Amen. We're going to sing, and then we'll be dismissed.